The book of Hebrews repeats the same themes over and over again, the perfection and superiority of Jesus' person and Jesus' finished work. So you would think that something as clear as this would be obvious to us, right? But we miss it. Why? Because something is blocking the way. We'll tell you what it is next on Daily in Christ. Welcome once again to the Daily in Christ podcast, and we are continuing our ongoing series in the book of Hebrews called Hebrews, the Glory of the New Covenant. And over the last few sessions, we've been in Hebrews chapter 8, verses 10 through 13, the New Covenant in specific. And if you missed any of those broadcasts, we want you to stop by our website, dailyinchrist.org, and uh, download those earlier lessons. Well, it's quite clear that our God is a God of commitment. He is a God of faithfulness. That's what the New Covenant is all about. The New Covenant is God's promises and God's accomplishments through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Old Covenant, the covenant of law, has us at the center, our doing and our failing, our broken promises and our unfaithfulness. The law was never meant to make anyone holy. The law was meant to show the sinner their sinfulness. Well, now we move into Hebrews chapter 9, and as we do, we're going to be focusing on the high priesthood of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he accomplished within the tabernacle of heaven. As we begin our lesson today, let's take a few moments and let's pray. Father God, thank you that you are so loving so faithful, so good. And Lord, because of that, we can experience fullness of life through the Lord Jesus Christ because of him, because of his perfection, because of his finished work. Now, Father, as we get into the book of Hebrews, I pray that you would once again, through the Holy Spirit, reveal to us in a deeper way the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, your perfect Son, who is our perfect high priest. Thank you, Father, that he offered himself and his life, his blood for us to give us all. Grant unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, if you would, pick up your Bible and turn to the book of Hebrews once again. We're in chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. We're going to read verses 1 through 5 which starts, Then indeed, even the first covenant, that speaking of the covenant of law, had ordinances of divine service and the earthly sanctuary. For a tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And behind the second veil, the part of the tabernacle which is called the holiest of all which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. And above it were the cherubim of glory overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. You know, as I was reading through those first five verses, I was struck by the facts and if you've ever read in your Bible, the book of Leviticus particularly, that really gets into the 
first tabernacle that was created, the, the Moses tabernacle, there were so many different elements within it. Each of them were wholly set apart unto God. But all of those details were just a shadow and a type and a figure of a reality that was yet to come. Let's dig into these verses. First of all, a tabernacle. Now, a tabernacle is a place to live. It's, it's a tent, if you will. And this is the, the dwelling place of God. And in the Old Testament, in the covenant of law, we see that it is an earthly tabernacle that's made by men. All of these things that we read about, the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, uh, the second veil, and then the holiest part of all, were all types and shadows and not the realities themselves. Let me tell you what, what we mean by types and shadows. Well, think of a shadow, right? If you and I were going to meet somewhere and the sun was shining around the corner of a building, and suddenly you came from the backside of that corner, and I saw your shadow coming across the sidewalk. You would think I'm a pretty crazy guy if I were to leap onto that shadow and try to hug it and say, I'm so glad to see you. Because the shadow, though it is an outline of you, really is not you. And so this picture of a shadow is a compelling thing. What was in that Old Testament, Old Covenant law was a tabernacle, were elements that were just shadows, outlines of the reality which was to come. We move to uh, Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 6. It says this, Now when these things have been thus prepared... The priests always went performing the services. But into the second part, the high priest went alone once a year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the people's sins committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. It was symbolic for the present time in which both gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot make him who performed the service perfect in regard to the conscience, concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. So we see there in verse 6, it says that the priests always went into the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. And if you look at what it says there in verse 8, it says that the Holy Spirit indicating that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. That first part is symbolic of the first covenant, the covenant of law. And then you see it says that the priests always went into the, the first part of the tabernacle performing the services. That's typical of life under the law covenant, under the covenant of law. It was something that didn't end. It was never ceasing. The priests were always involved in the activities of that particular order. And we're going to find out 
a little bit later why that was the case, why the priests had to constantly perform the temple services, why they engaged in that nonstop activity. This is symbolic of the fact that the law provided only a temporary covering. And so that the law always said, not enough, not enough, not enough. Need to do it again, do it again, do it again, do it again. And so the priestly services had to be repeated over and over and over again. Now, the distinction was that once a year, you look at verse 7 there, the high priest goes into the second part of the tabernacle, what is called the holiest of all. And you know, the holiest of all, again, this is a, a shadow of realities, not the realities themselves. The holiest of all represents closeness with God, intimacy with God. And we really do to be close to God. As it says in Hebrews chapter 14, to come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. That's so important. All of us in our heart long for closeness with God. Why? So that we may know him, that we may experience him, that we may find, as it says there in, in Hebrews 4 verse 16, uh, we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So there's the first part of the tabernacle where the priests were unceasingly offering sacrifices. And then there is this second part, which is the holiest of all. Now, this is really interesting. Look at verse 8. It says, The Holy Spirit indicating this, that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle was still standing. You know, this is really significant here. As long as that first tabernacle, the, the tabernacle of law, was still standing, you know, the law with the animal sacrifices by imperfect, sinful men actually obstructed and hid the way into the holiest of all. We could not see the way into the intimate presence of the Father. See, it says that the Holy Spirit indicating that this, this that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest. The Greek word for manifest means to make visible, to make apparent, to, to be made known. Amplified says it's not yet thrown open. So imagine you may have something that's present, but you can't see it. It's hidden. And the law sacrifices kept the way into the holiest of all, Jesus, hidden. The unceasing imperfect sacrifices by sinful priests kept us from seeing the way into the holiest of all, being close to Father God and his intimate holy place. And again, that first tabernacle was a tabernacle under the covenant of law. And a law mentality, or my doing for God, keeps us right now from seeing what should be manifest, what should be obvious, that Jesus is the way into the holiest of all. You know, as long as we look at ourselves and our performance for God, law, we are blind and deaf 
to what should be obvious, that Jesus is the way into the holiest of all. You know, I've seen this happen in my own life and in the lives of others. We sort of zone out Jesus and his full sufficiency, and we say, yeah, but... And that's the mixture of my performance with Jesus' performance. And and you know what that means. It means that Jesus' performance is never enough. At the beginning of this program, I said that the book of Hebrews repeats this theme over and over and over again, the perfection and superiority of Jesus' person, perfect son, perfect high priest, his perfect finished work. And so with these repeated statements over and over again throughout the book of Hebrews, you would think that something as clear as this would be obvious to us, but we miss it. And why is it? Well, we just found out that the law and a law mentality stands in the way. As long as we think that God is relating to us on the basis of our goodness and our righteousness and our performance, we will be blind to the way, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus Christ did indeed come. The Holy Spirit indicated that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while the first tabernacle, the law tabernacle, was still standing there. And it was concerned only with foods and drinks, various washings and fleshly ordinances imposed until the time of reformation. Jesus is that time of reformation, of decided and radical change. All right, let's read through verses 11 through 15, which reads, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands that is not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. He entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer, sprinkling the unclean, sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, how much shall the blood... Of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. And for this reason, he is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Now, here's something that's so significant right there at the beginning in verse 11. It says this, but Christ came. I tell you, I love those parts of the Bible where it just seems so dark and dismal based on our sin and our failure. And then the scripture says, but God. For instance, and I've talked about this a lot in Ephesians 2, 1 to 4. First three verses talk about everything wrong in our condition before Christ. We were by nature objects of wrath. But then we read in verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. Here in Hebrews, we needed a great high priest. And here we see verse 11, But Christ came as high priest of the good things to come. That is 
one of the most encouraging things we could possibly ever imagine. Remember what we said at the beginning of this series? I believe we are in Hebrews chapter 4, and we're talking about why we need a high priest. And the high priest is one who offers gifts, sacrifices. The high priest is the one who facilitates connection with God the Father. Without that high priest, we cannot be close to God. Why? Because God is holy and we are not. And there is this great high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who came, the perfect high priest. And it says that Jesus came as high priest of the good things to come. We can see, again, the infinitely better of the new covenant of grace. This was not the old covenant of law. If you look at verse 11b, it speaks of the greater and more perfect tabernacle that Jesus went to, went into. That not of may, made of human hands, it says that, verse 11c, that it is not of this creation. So the tabernacle that Jesus entered was not that one on earth that was made by Moses, by men, but it is the tabernacle fashioned by God in heaven. Oh, that one is so much greater than the earthly tabernacle. And in verse 12, it says that Jesus came not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood. That's powerful. Under the Old Covenant, God had made a temporary arrangement where there would be the blood of goats and calves, and that particular temporary arrangement was not a perfect finished sacrifice. It was merely a covering for sins. It didn't provide for the remission or the removal of sins. Under the Old Covenant, that's why we saw these sacrifices being made over and over and over again. Imperfect blood of animals, and so they have to be repeated because the result of that imperfect sacrifice was temporary. Can you imagine the huge amount of blood that had to be spilled even with one day of atonement? All of those bulls, all of those goats. Have you ever witnessed the slaughtering of, let's say, a cow? I've seen something like that, and I'll tell you, there is a huge amount of blood with just one animal. Uh, but they would be sacrificing thousands and thousands of these things. So much blood. Why? Because it wasn't enough. It was never enough. We can feel that way in our own Christian life. We can feel that I, I can't pray enough. I can't do enough. And whenever you hear not enough, that should be a clue, a symptom to you of the deeper not recognizing the fact that the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who entered the most holy place in heaven. Once for all, he did it. He entered the most holy place of all in heaven, not in on earth, into a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with human hands. And just like we said earlier in verse 8, the problem that can 
block the way from us seeing what should be obvious is when we get caught up in a law mentality. In other words, what we do for God and fail. (laughs) Sad to say that's what happens under law. And here's something interesting. In verse 12, it says, once for all. Now, the Greek once for all is one word, and it means once for all time. You see, this is an action that's performed one point in time, but it affects all time. That once for all covers now, well, your past, your now, and your tomorrow. That's how incredible that once for all sacrifice, perfect sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. He came, as it says there in verse 12, with his own blood, perfect blood, the the sacrificial lamb of God. Praise the Lord for that. And he entered not an earthly tabernacle, but he entered the most holy place once for all in heaven And it says this, having obtained eternal redemption. This is not a temporary redemption. This is an eternal redemption. Redemption is this idea of being purchased. It's being purchased from, like a ransom, being rescued out of captivity, and a purchase toward where we become God's own treasured ones, treasured possession. As it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we we are not our own. We've been bought with a price. We belong to the Lord. That's what redemption really means. It means we don't belong to the devil. We don't belong to sin. We don't even belong to ourselves. We belong to God. And talk about a wonderful place of security. And look at this. In verse 14, this is huge. How much more? Well, let me back up to verse 13. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh, verse 14, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, Cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Do you see that? Much more. (laughs) Infinitely much more. Take the blood of bulls and goats and compare it with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no comparison. It is infinitely better. Just like the new covenant and God's grace is infinitely better than the old covenant and God's law. How much more Shall the blood of Christ, his precious blood, talk about a sacrifice. You know, when the Bible talks about the shedding of blood in this fashion, it's talking about death. He gave his life for us. And look at this there in um, verse 12. It says, who through the eternal spirit, You see, the way that Jesus did this is the same way that we can serve God by means of the eternal Spirit. Wow. That's the power of uh, the Lord, isn't it? Verse 14. Who through, by means of the eternal 
spirit. Everything about the new covenant is eternal. Everything about the new covenant is permanent. Everything about the new covenant is done. He offered him without spot to God, a perfect sacrifice. And that perfect sacrifice never needs to be repeated again. Why? Because it's perfect. How can you improve on perfect? You don't need to. It's done. It's finished. That's the great news about the Lord Jesus Christ and his work. It's perfect. It's finished. He offered himself. He offered the blood. He did it through the eternal spirit. Now watch this. Cleanse your conscience, end of verse 14, from dead works to serve the living God. A conscience that is cleansed. The Greek definition of the word conscience in this context means to be one's own witness. One's own conscience coming forward as a witness. It is self-awareness, particularly a knowing of oneself that that faculty of the soul which distinguishes between right and wrong and prompts one to choose the former and avoid the latter. You know, sometimes that conscience is stinging us. We've done something wrong and our conscience is bothering us. But watch this. It says that the conscience is cleansed as opposed to the old covenant sacrifice that provided uh, a cleansing, a purifying of the flesh, this provides an internal cleansing and purifying, purging, if you will. And look what the effect is. What is cleansed from the conscience? Dead works. You see it? It says, cleanse your conscience from dead works. What does it mean, this term dead works? One of my favorite commentaries, and it was also a favorite commentary of the great preacher Charles Haddon Spurgeon, is one that was authored by Jameson, Fawcett, and Brown. Here's their commentary here in in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, and what the dead works mean. They say, all works done in the natural state, which is a state of sin, are dead, for they cannot come from living faith in and love to the living God, Hebrews 11.6. As contact with a dead body defiled ceremonially, compare the illusion ashes of a heifer in Hebrews 9.13, so dead works defile the inner conscience spiritually. Did you catch it? Those dead works are done in our natural or fleshly state. That is, by definition, a state of sin. And it is dead. They are not living works produced by the living God. And these dead works, as they say, defile our conscience. Because we're constantly thinking about ourselves. I'm not good enough. Uh, You know, we don't always feel uh, enough. Uh, We didn't do enough. We're not good enough. We didn't do it right. We're not holy enough. We're not righteous enough. Anytime you hear not enough, your conscience has been defiled by dead works, by living under the notion that God wants you to live for him. No, he doesn't want you to live for him. He wants you to live for him through him. He wants you to live 
by him. The truth is the reality of the life of Christ inside of you. That's so important to understand. And then look uh, what it says, that Jesus' perfect blood cleanses a conscience that's fouled by dead works to serve the living God. What a contrast. Dead works versus serving the living God. To sum up, Jesus, our great high priest, did it. He entered the perfect tabernacle in heaven. He did it with nothing less than his own perfect, precious blood. Jesus entered the most holy place. And look, he did it once for all. And through all of that, because of the perfection of his person as the perfect son and the perfect high priest, accomplishing all with his perfect blood, that cleanses us. It cleanses our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Uh, we alluded a moment ago to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And here's what this verse says. And many times this, the first part of the verse is quoted, but the second part is neglected. It says this, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. Listen to this. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Hebrews eleven six. So do you see it there? The Lord Jesus Christ, in all that he has done for us, has made the way, opened the way, so that it's possible with our conscience cleansed from the failure and the, the um, defilement of dead works to serve the living God. And verse 15 says this, And for this reason, he, Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, the law covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Jesus himself is the mediator of the new covenant. He is the one by whom the new covenant is established. He is the one by whom all the benefits and all the blessings of the new covenant are made possible. Jesus is the true mediator between you and God. Not religion, not communion, not prayer, not Bible reading. All those things are wonderful. And you know, when you look at false religion, so often false religion will look at what Jesus has done and they will look at him as mediator and say, not enough. They're always talking about Jesus plus something. Jesus plus prayers. Jesus plus sacrifice, our sacrifices. Jesus plus serving a church. Jesus plus communion. Jesus plus penance. Jesus plus whatever. Anytime you hear Jesus plus, because Jesus has accomplished all. He is indeed the mediator and the only mediator of the new covenant. And how did that happen? By means of death, his very own death. And it says here, the re, for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, the law covenant. Again, redemption speaks of a purchase price. In this case, redeeming us from the wrong and just punishment of our transgression. Jesus' blood 
paid it all, satisfied all. Uh, In the book of Romans chapter 3, at around uh, verse 23, it talks about that Jesus would be the propitiation. Propitiation is an offering that satisfies wrath. An offering that satisfies wrath. The shedding of Jesus' perfect and precious blood does indeed satisfy the justice and the wrath of God. And that precious blood redeems us from the wrong of our transgression. And, again, redemption has the other positive aspects. We are purchased of God and made God's own. Now, I'd like you to see what it says here for the rest of verse 15. It says that those who are called may resist of the eternal inheritance. This is all about God and accomplishment that does it all. You see, it's called. God is the one doing the call. This isn't some lame yoo-hoo call. No, this is the call of the eternal, omnipotent, almighty God. And his call sets in motion an unstoppable sequence of events that gets the job done. That's what God's calling does. And the Bible also says in 1 Timothy that he called us before time began. He gave us grace before time began. Also about God's initiative and accomplishment doing all. It says that in in verse 15, that we may receive. When you receive something, it's not something you do. Somebody else is doing it and you're receiving that action. And that something given is a gift that we may receive. And it says the promise This is not based on our useless promises, commitments, and bargains with God. No, it's based on God's integrity, His promise, His commitments, His faithfulness. And it says, the promise of the eternal inheritance. Praise God. All the message of Hebrews says that this work and this thing that Jesus has accomplished has a permanent, eternal benefit. It is an eternal inheritance. It's forever. It's not temporary or short-term as it is under the law. And it says an inheritance. Now, an inheritance is not something you work for. It's not like wages. It's not something we do. It's not something we earn. An inheritance is something that is given to us by a benefactor. In this case... The benefactor is our great benefactor, Father God. And so, as it says there in verse 15, And for this reason, he, Jesus, is the mediator of the new covenant by means of death for the redemption of the transgressions under the first covenant, that those who are called may receive the promise of the eternal inheritance. Let's pray. Father God, we praise you and we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. Thank you for such a wonderful, full and rich and total salvation. Thank you, Father, because of Jesus and all he is and how he didn't enter an imperfect earthly sanctuary, but he entered heaven itself. And Father, that Jesus, our high priest, entered heaven with nothing less than his own precious blood. And he went in, is the one who accomplished all for us. 
And Father, God, we recognize that that perfect love, that perfect sacrifice, that perfect performance by our perfect high priest has finished it all. And we see that the holiest of all is now open, that intimate, close presence that we have with you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the wonderful grace of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, for his blood that Jesus offered through the eternal spirit without spot to God, cleanses our conscience from the defilement of dead works so that we can serve you, the living God. Thank you, Lord, for this great mediator, our wonderful high priest. And because of him, Father God, we have this great high priest. As it says in Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Thank you, Father. I pray that through the Holy Spirit, you would grant greater revelation, greater illumination to this wonderful truth for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.